0: Before we get started, I have a quick favor. I've been self-funding the Finding Genius podcast for five years now. I've done over 3,000 episodes. And as you can see on YouTube, we're up over a million views on the channel, which is fantastic. The next thing I really want to push on is to get up to 10,000 subscribers. Because once we do, we'll be able to put a donate button, and we'll be able to solicit donations to help keep the podcast running, and to also get the Finding Genius Foundation moving along. We have a big project studying anxiety, depression, and PTSD and working on a product to help people overcome these problems uh, because I've seen them explode recently after the uh, you know the last 2 years of the whole virus situation. So if you would please subscribe to the podcast that would help us tremendously, give us a thumbs up, and check in the description for buy me a coffee. It's about 5 bucks. If you could buy me a coffee, I'd really appreciate it. It would help keep the channel going and I love coffee. Thank you
1: a real geniuses richard jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you he hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field sleep science cancer stem cells ketogenic diets and more here come the geniuses this is the finding genius podcast with richard jacobs
2: hello this is richard jacobs with finding genius podcast i have uh, alex hugh she's the deputy director of the center for deliberative democracy at Stanford University. I'm going to talk about uh, issues like sortition and how to improve and change and you know maybe upgrade democracy so it works better. So Alice, thank you for coming.
3: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure.
2: If you would tell me about your work, what, what projects are you working on right now?
3: We've got a lot of interesting things happening. So in the last few years with the pandemic, we've actually brought a lot of things online. And it just so happened that we have a AI-assisted deliberation platform that came to its maturity just in time. And so in the last few years, we've been running all of our deliberations online. We did projects in Tokyo and Hong Kong and Chile and Peru and Norway. In next week, we are doing, that, doing a national one in Taiwan, and, and they range in topics as well. The next one, one next week in Taiwan is on climate and reaching net zero. We were in Peru talking about electoral reform. We were in Norway talking about AI fairness. So a variety of different topics happening. All the while, still have a couple in-person deliberations happening in different places, but the platform has been something that we are expanding a lot.
2: This AI platform, what what is it? How does it work?
3: Oh yes, so it's called the Stanford Online Deliberation Platform. It's a collaboration between us and the Crowdsourced Democracy team here at Stanford. And I'll step back a little bit. One of the things, being in Silicon Valley, where people are always trying to insert technology into our um, work that everyone does, so we had the same thought, and we were trying to figure out what aspect of technology would really benefit the field of deliberative democracy. And we thought that, well, how do we scale deliberation where many, many people, perhaps even whole society, could actually deliberate together? And one of the kind of difficulties in having mass deliberations, let's say, is that um, in deliberations, you need moderators, neutral moderators that will... Help facilitate the conversations. And so because of that, we decided to um, basically um, put all of the different features that we um, have in the training that we normally give moderators and place them, built them into this deliberative platform. And so the platform itself, it follows the method that we use, deliberative polling, and how we train our facilitators. So on the platform, it helps the participants navigate the agenda, go through what topics to discuss, helping with pros arguments, con arguments, um, nudging people to speak. And, you know, they get a cue to participate. And um, it's a variety of features. And it's it's been wonderful. It's been working really well in, well, what in all sorts of What does that countries? mean, deliver
2: sort to of Poland?
3: oh what um deliberative polling is a method that we use it's a way of consulting the public the components itself it includes a random sample of population so getting a microcosm of the population And then uh, we have pre-deliberation surveys. We gather them together for small group discussions, then have a plenary session with experts. And we iterate between the small group and plenary sessions until the event is finished where they do a post-deliberation survey. The whole idea is giving people an opportunity to think about and become informed about policy issues and understand what the people would think if they actually had the opportunity to think and be to consider all the different options that are on the table. So it's a way to getting the opinions of an informed public.
2: What does that mean though? I don't understand. Like how are you preparing people to answer an issue besides informing them of, you know, some of the basics of the issue? What, what do you mean?
3: Well, we, the reason why it's called deliberative polling is the, act of engaging each other in a deliberation. So when people get into a discussion together, it is really weighing the trade-offs of these difficult issues. So for example, for we're talking about immigration, there are pro and con issues on you know any given topic. And for one of our projects from American One Room that we did in 2019, there were proposals such as Uh, increasing visas for high-skilled workers or increasing number of visas for low-skilled workers. So there are arguments on both sides. And when people come together and talk about these proposals, they have to weigh the different sides of the argument. And as they're talking and having these um, difficult discussions, whether it be facts and figures they bring in or personal anecdotes, personal stories, people begin to start understanding what are the intricacies of these different policies and how they affect everyday lives of folks. And so as people discuss, they become informed and they learn and not only, you know, the hard facts, but they learn about how all of this um, affects not just ourselves, but other people around us. And it's a way of really understanding what it means to live in a society. So many different kinds of people that, you know, need different types of policies so the whole purpose of deliberative polling is really to get an informed view of, of public opinion.
1: If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. So, OK,
2: what sources are providing the information to people that are supposed to deliberate on an issue? And are the people being randomly chosen and then, you know, given this information to make a decision? They're like, what's the whole process look like? if you're going to work on a given issue from start to finish.
3: Um, are you referring to the participants that come or um, are you referring to the the, plen- the plenary? So we have a plenary session panel and then we also had an advisory committee that reviews materials. Um, when you're to-
2: using the AI system, I guess that's what I wanted to really ask. I'm sorry. What are, what are the benefits and differences in using your AI system you talked about versus how you were doing it before?
3: Ah, I see. Um well, the one great benefit about using the AI assisted platform is that you you don't need um, human moderators as as great as in person events are, and as as much as we can train moderators, we are human and everyone will have their you know slightly different style of engaging with participants so the Difficulty is that there are always differences in how the groups will react to a moderator, because in theory, we would want to, you know, a a moderator in group A, we, we should be able to kind of take that moderator and put them into another room. And those groups would have exactly the same conversation. But unfortunately, with human moderators, that's probably unlikely because, you know, everyone just kind of conducts it just slightly differently. And then on the other hand, you know, as much training as we can do, there there are always some moderators that perhaps are not up to par. And so those groups' experiences may may not be what we would want them to be. So the AI-assisted platform really helps us have the consistency And the high quality deliberation that we want across the hundreds of groups that we can do simultaneously on the platform. And because we can have this consistency, that means that we can have essentially unlimited amount of groups on our platform at the same time. And I think At some point, we could have millions of people on the platform deliberating. There could be a deliberation day where everyone jumps on the platform, has discussions perhaps before they vote or before they engage in some important decision and they can talk to each other all at the same time, and and so it's really liberating to think that we can actually bring deliberation to a broader set of people in society rather than just perhaps a microcosm.
0: Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Now, back to the show. So is the the AI the
2: moderator, or I mean, how does this work? What is the training for the moderators? What makes this different or more efficacious?
1: So
3: we've built the platform. All the design features are based on how we normally train human moderators for the deliberative polling process. And for example, in the deliberative polls that we have in person, people tend to raise their hand and there's a cue to get ready to speak. So on the platform, there's a queue. You request to speak. And as you request to speak, there's a queue that's forms. And then there's an agenda the platform manages the agenda. So um, each of the topics are timed. And if the group wants to, perhaps if they feel like they're done with agenda number one, they want to move to agenda number two, they can ask the platform to move on and the participants will vote amongst themselves to decide whether they want want to move on to the next topic, just as you would in in, an in-person deliberation. If the group feels like they've talked enough, then the moderator would move on to the next topic. There is uh, nudging that can be done on the platform where participants that may not have spoken a lot will get nudges from the platform automatically to encourage them to speak. And this aspect, actually, um, there's a greater benefit um, than the in-person because in the in-person, oftentimes the moderator would have to stop a conversation in order to encourage someone to speak. Whereas in the platform online, we can actually nudge the person individually because the individual sees it on on their screen only. So we could be nudging multiple people at the same time to encourage them to speak. And then now um, we're playing around with different ways of nudging um, and providing certain arguments, like, oh, can you refer to this argument in your materials? And what do you think of that? And trying to give nuances. To encourage people to speak. And, what about um, um, the-
2: a feature that yeah. would transcribe what's being said, and people could scroll back a little bit? You know, maybe they could use a keyword if they want to weigh in on something, and it would jump and find the instances when the keyword or keywords were used, and then kind of assemble it all so the person could look and see back in the discussion and then answer more effectively.
3: Yeah, that's very. That's a great idea too. We have real-time transcription of the deliberation, so that certainly is possible.
2: Or sure, if you want to identify, oh, it was Bob or Sue that said it, or who who brought up the idea of uh, the purple yeah. list, you know,
3: Yeah, and yeah, I guess the right. system
2: could track that and showcase that again.
3: Mm-hmm. That's exactly right.
2: So what have you noticed is the difference in the type and quality of discussion and deliberation with your system versus, you know, the way it was done before?
3: Uh, well, interestingly, many people had asked that question. And we were eager to find out, especially because we are now doing so many um, of these deliberations online. And we find that on the, the topic of opinion change, actually, we see this really the same amount of opinion change online in these deliberations as we see in person. So it, it's quite fascinating. We had in a Deliberation on climate and energy, just September of 2021, and we saw massive amounts of change among topics that surrounded whether um, electric vehicles should be the sale of them should be should end by 2035, or support for different types of energy sources increased a lot as well, um, and the amount of opinion change was very dramatic, very similar to events that we've done in person in the past. We also see that people um, form relationships as they have these deliberations over the course of the weekend. By the end of deliberation for one of the events we did in Chile there, some of the groups were crying and saying that they don't want to go and they really want to stay and have continued conversations with their group. And many people were exchanging social media handles and exchanging email addresses because they want to stay in touch with the people in their group. And we see also that empathy is being built in the discussions as well as people are sharing their um, personal anecdotes and we've done a number of follow-up interviews with participants and really understanding how the deliberations have impacted them and we, we see a lot of um, changes that are happening to um, the folks that we interviewed. So it, all in all um, we I think the effect is is quite significant uh, whether it is online or in person.
2: Well what's an example of some of the feedback you've heard that you know really perked your ears up?
3: So I did a couple podcast series interviewing a number of participants after these events. So a couple examples that stand out from the first American One Room event that we did: there was a older woman who lived in Texas for most of her life, and after participating in the in person event that was had, she decided that she would move herself to another state to move to North Carolina. And the move she said was directly attributed to the fact that she participated in this event. And she said that she felt way too comfortable in her, her place in Texas. She had retired. She was a school teacher and a school administrator. And now she realized after participating in the event that she needs to be stimulated she intellectually, and she needs to meet other people and that she was way too comfortable in her own setting. And so she moved herself to North Carolina to a place that she felt would really give her the intellectual stimulation that was needed and to be around people that were different from her. That was one of the more dramatic changes to uproot yourself and to go somewhere else because of just this experience that she had. Another one that stands out is an event that we did with Shaping Our Future, which was among 18 to 29-year-olds. And this one person had a group where they were talking about economic inequality. And in his group, one of the participants called another participant racist. And of course, it was a very stressful time in that group's discussion. And this participant I interviewed decided to jump in. And he said, well, you know, my mother is also from a small town and she's also racist. But he said he continues to have very open and honest conversations with her and tries to understand what her views are. And so she, and he continued and shared examples to say, you know, her, his mom is the way She is because she, because her town and the experiences she had um, is what makes her life. And so she can't have experiences that she didn't have, which, you know, helped people understand like why certain people have certain opinions. And then after he shared another person jumped in and said, well, I'm from this small town. I'm not racist. In fact, you know, she has a lot of friends that are, and she has difficulty navigating her daily life because of that. And as the continue that this conversation continued, the person that originally made the comment jumped in and said, wow, I'm so grateful for everyone sharing so much about this issue. And she continued to ask some questions to better understand other people's views. And as I interviewed um, this participant, he said, he felt that, you know, he empathized. He felt that empathy was being built amongst his group because of what was said and about the experiences that were shared. And it was really wonderful for him to have experienced it. And he realized that it was possible um, to really grow and learn so much in, in, even in this online setting. So those are a couple examples that stand out in terms of how deliberation has been so beneficial.
2: Okay. Well, excellent. That helps. What about a sortition, you know, random sampling of people to debate an issue do you engage in any of that or is, is is your work not cover that area?
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, a deliberative polling, the first step is to get a microcosm, is to do random sampling of a population. So all of the events, well, let's just say 99% of the events that we do are are based on random sampling. Well, how
2: can how, how it be a microcosm if it's random sampling?
3: Well, you're, when you draw a random sample of a population... The idea is to extract a what would be a a small number of cases that would represent the greater population. Is that not the case?
2: Oh well, I mean, it's it's not purely random, but it's like a directed randomness.
3: Well, stratified random sampling is stratified. used okay. in most real in most real life situations. Uh, stratified random sampling is definitely what is deployed. I, I don't. I can really. I don't know many cases where people are able to use pure random sampling in real life cases. It's, it's kind of difficult to do that.
0: Well,
2: what is, Oh, yeah. I just don't know what is stratified random sampling.
3: Stratified random sampling is most um, polling firms, you know, organizations, because, you know, if you're, you know, doing a national sample of the United States, for example, one way to stratify perhaps is um, by States. So you would, randomly select people from each state so that you would have enough people representing each of the states so that's an example of what stratified random sampling would be
2: well if you want to get a microcosm then i guess the the stratified sampling would have to be more directed you know you want to get i guess men and women you want to get old people young people are what are some
3: common
2: what are some common stratifications for instance
3: Um, As you just described, you know, aside from geography, sometimes people use gender or race and ethnicity. Yeah. Other types of demographic variables are are very popular. I think geography and is is a very common one. And so, yeah, but, you know, as you said, gender, race, ethnicity, sometimes, you know, people use income or party depending on, you know, what the purpose is for those um, projects or surveys that they are deploying.
2: Yeah, I just wondered if it's a well developed area or field of study, and there's like guidelines. You know, depending on what you're debating, you want to use like you know, I'm just making this up. The Herschel method of random stratification <laughs> versus the you know the the method. I don't, I don't
3: know I don't, if it's that I developed. No, I, I mean, I don't think uh, I, I I don't think anyone's named after different methods of stratification. Um, uh, so, but but stratified, but this way of random sampling is is very popular. Of course, there are other methods of sampling too that are less rigorous. But I would say that most people that are interested in getting a sample of a population that is representative would probably employ fairly rigorous sampling methods.
2: So, what do you, what do you think will be the future of your work? Where is it all headed? I mean, it could be in multiple directions. But what you know, like what new things are you working on over the next few years?
3: Sure. Well, I do hope at some point that we'd be able to use our deliberation platform to engage millions of people. It would be wonderful to be able to engage that many people together simultaneously to have a conversation that could really affect the way people understand how a democracy should work. Because in a democracy, we have to listen to each other, whether you agree or whether you disagree. That doesn't matter, but listening to each other really is key to understand um, how we can move forward. So I think that we are working towards that goal of having more people on the platform. Aside from that, you know, and having projects that will help have some policy impact, whether in the states or in different parts of the world, where we've worked in 34 countries, 100 plus projects around the world on different topics. So we hope to continue doing that in the next few years.
2: Well, very good. Alice, where can people find out more about your work? Where can they go?
3: Yes. And find us on our website. That's cdd.stanford.edu.
2: Well, that's pretty simulacus. So cdd.stanford.edu.
3: Yes. Yes.
2: And the CDD is what? The Center for Deliberative Democracy?
3: That's right.
2: Okay. Just want to make sure I get it right. Well, great, Alice. Thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate
1: it.
3: Of course. Absolutely. It was uh, fun to have this conversation with you.
1: If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs.